0: on the gospel, one of our favorite things to talk about. The gospel is the Bible's shorthand way of saying good news, um, and that good news is about a person, Jesus Christ. And so let me just be up front. Um, we're not just a church that here gathers here to talk about uh, relevant things in our life. We believe that Jesus is the most relevant thing and person we can talk about, and so we've actually designed our whole series around Galatians and what the good news of Jesus Christ is all about in the book of Galatians. And as uh, Leah read for us, this is a really important passage. And there's two main things that I'm going to talk about this morning. And that is, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit and I'm going to talk about faith. Two things that are very important to us. And two things that are very important to talk about when talking about the gospel. But the reality is, I believe so much the Holy Spirit empowers us to understand that I'm going to pray this morning that the Holy Spirit empowers you and I to understand what we're going to hear this morning. So if you bow with me. Jesus, thank You for giving us Your Spirit. You are the Holy and Anointed One. You're the centerpiece of what we're doing here, Jesus, and we want You to be glorified. We know, Jesus, that You left Your Spirit here when You rose again, and You left Your Spirit to empower us to know and understand and believe the Gospel you know, we know that, Jesus, but sometimes we don't even feel it. And so I want to ask, especially for me and my friends, that you will be with my words so that my words about your Holy Spirit and about faith in you, Jesus, will be helpful this morning. And I want to pray for those here this morning that need help to understand, that struggle with faith, that struggle to understand the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Jesus, that you would give your Holy Spirit in a special way this morning, That would actually help people. That would give people the understanding that's required. To understand your word, to understand your preacher, and to then be able to respond in faith, Jesus. We ask this in your awesome and holy name. Amen. Okay, so we're in the book of Galatians. We're in chapter 3, so this is actually... Uh, Number seven, that's kind of the way we like to do things around here. We like to uh, go sequentially through books of the Bible for the most part. There are other times when we don't do that, when we take a topic or an issue and we, we see what the Bible has to say about that. But one of the real advantages of taking a book of the Bible and sequentially preaching your way through it is you don't get to choose then which is the tough text that you don't want to preach about but, and you have to literally cover everything. That's, what I, that's one of the reasons why I do it. Because I'm prone to preach about things that I really like to preach about. I don't know if you know that about me. Uh, I'm kind of a preacher and I'll preach even if there's only a few people. As my wife says, sometimes as I leave the service, she goes, Honey, uh, you're done your fourth sermon for the day. Please come home and eat some lunch today. Because I'm a preacher. I like to preach. And I love this part of the text. I love where we are in Galatians right now. Not that I haven't liked where we have been. But in many ways, um, I, in, I enjoy this because this was a very helpful text for me. It was helpful to think through what the importance of the work of the Holy Spirit was in my life. It was helpful for me to be reminded that it really is all about faith. You know, sometimes people who don't know the gospel, who when I talk to them about the gospel, they, they say, well, it really all boils down to faith. And that they're right. It's interesting how people who've never heard the gospel still seem to get that. You, you have friends like that? You talk to them and they say, boy, it sounds a lot like the way you're describing the gospel, you have to have faith to believe it. That's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. You can't, you can't have the gospel without faith. You can't remove this from the gospel. Faith. And this is an amazing thing. Last week's text was really about how we are justified by faith justification is a big long churchy word that really only is used in church and in the court of law and it really is a term that describes being um, being made right or seen right in in eyes of the law and so God's law being seen right in the eyes of God's law we are declared justified by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place for our sins that means if we believe that We literally get this great, Luther called this the great exchange. We exchange our life and our sin and everything in us for the life of Jesus Christ and his penalty that he paid for sin. It's this great exchange. And we receive that, not through works of the law. Some of you are still stuck in that place. Some of you are still stuck in thinking that Christianity is really about what I do for God. Yes, God saved me, I believe that. But now, now that I'm a Christian, what do I now do for God? And the Christian life is not like that. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity, if you could sum up, is what God does for us in our place. That's Christianity. And it's amazing. It's almost too good to be true in some some of the times that I've talked to people about, um, you know, when they share their faith with those who are from different religions, literally some of the responses have been, that seems too simplified, it seems too simple. It can't simply be about just believing that. And I know that seems like a stumbling block for a lot of you, and I think that's what was happening in the book of Galatians, is when Paul originally preached the gospel, and it sounded like such good news. I mean, seriously? Where in your life can you find that? Can you go into work tomorrow and your boss says, I tell you what, you don't have to work for anything and you'll still at the end of life receive your paycheck. You go, I want to work here for the rest of my life, right? That's the way it's going to work. Because that's way too good to be true. And you, you and I are like, yeah, that's, that's not even close. In fact, I go to work and I work very hard and I don't get what I am even promised. And so it seems almost like too good to be true, but this is actually What Christianity is, we are justified, we are declared righteous by God through Jesus when we believe in Him. Stop and think about that for a second. It doesn't work like that in any other way in our life. Your marriage doesn't work like that. Your family doesn't work like that. Your job doesn't work like that. Your sports team doesn't work like that. Right? When's the last time your faith in a sports team has ever helped them do anything? Right? Isn't that crazy how we're like, I have faith, you know, so and so will win, so and so. Like, what's that based upon? You know, it's it's it means nothing. But in Christianity, your faith means everything. Your faith in who Jesus is is the way that you have access to everything that Jesus gives. Is this sinking in yet? This is, this is amazing news. In fact, I think it's great news. And that's why the gospel is great news. That's why it should feel good to us. It should feel like... This is, this is really... It's almost hard to believe, but if it's true, it's actually great news. Except for these teachers in the churches that Paul, who was an apostle, was, was, he was planting these churches and these false teachers came in and said, oh yeah, I think it's good news, but you know what? It's, it's good news, but there's these other things that really authenticate this good news. And so if you do these things, in fact, you should probably do these things before you ever consider yourself authenticated. So yeah, there's good news that Jesus Christ came, but as long as you also get circumcised, then you can receive this good news. Now, for some of you who don't have any biblical background, that really does sound crazy, doesn't it? That this would actually be an argument, like if you get circumcised and, and believe in Jesus, then you can be considered part of the people of... It's okay for you to laugh. I know it's a very uncomfortable topic. I always say, if you don't know what circumcision is, please don't ask me. I'm not going to tell you. Um, And I would not recommend that you Google it either, but maybe ask your mom and dad. Uh, They might tell you. But this was really the big argument that was going on in Galatia. It's not an argument now, obviously, but it was then. Because being circumcised was God's way of helping people to clearly differentiate between one type of people and another. And it would. I mean, you, can, you don't have to use your imagination to know that. It would differentiate the people. And these false teachers that were coming in and were saying, yeah, that's all good and fine, that's, that's really good news, but we want to add some other things. And really, that's what happens to us constantly with the gospel is. We hear the gospel, and then sometimes false teachers come into the teaching or into the church, and they add things. It's likely not circumcision. If we kind of came in and we said, hey, Urban Grace is all about Jesus and circumcision, there's probably like two people left. Um, and they're probably already circumcised anyway, so it wouldn't really matter. And that wouldn't, but there's, there's some false teachers that could come in and say, you know, you should believe in Jesus and you should not, also not drink alcohol. Well, there are good reasons for not drinking alcohol. And yes, getting drunk is a sin, the Bible says. But this is, this is something that's been added to the gospel that's really not there in, in the gospel. It's not part of the gospel. Or, or you should, you should um, believe in Jesus and do these things. And really, the Bible explains very clearly. In fact, this is why Paul is almost red in the face. If you could write a letter and be red in the face, he would be. Because that's what he says. Who, who has bewitched you? you foolish Galatians. I mean, this is like dad, right? Have you ever had those talks with dad where he just kind of looks at you and goes, you don't have a clue what you're doing, do you? This is kind of what Paul says to his Galatian friends. Are you serious, guys? Well, magic was actually fairly big at that time, and we're actually in an area and a culture where we just have if you want access to magic and palm reading and, and tarot cards and all that kind of stuff, all you have to do is go about two or three blocks away and somebody will help you out with that. And so we also live in an area where, where there's magic and there's occult and there's things outside of God that people go to, spiritual people outside of the true Bible God that they want help with. And the reason why they go to them is because they want this security. They want assurance. They want to they know, is my future secure? what's going on in my future and so paul paul's galatian friends they live in that kind of area too and so almost jokingly paul says to them did someone come and put a magic spell over you and tell you that this was a better way to add things to the gospel to do that live by works of the law is it did someone like put a hex on you did someone cover you with some sort of magical potion that you couldn't see how good the gospel news was but you do not have to earn your way. In fact, you can't earn your way to relationship with God. What happened? He goes, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, they didn't have YouTube back then, so no, you didn't, it wasn't like publicly portrayed in, in terms of a video or a YouTube or a reenactment. But it was, it was Paul saying, and I mean, he's a confident man, He's humble, but he's confident. He's in, uh, it couldn't get any clearer who Jesus was from my preaching. I preached to you who Jesus was. Now, let me stop here and not assume anyone here knows the gospel. Because there may be someone here, and I'm pretty sure there is, that really, when I say gospel, they're still not totally sure what I mean by gospel. This is what he's saying he preached to them. That the gospel is not advice about God. It's not a way of life, actually, even. The gospel affects life, but it's not a way of life. The gospel is news that you proclaim. I said this last week, but 9-11 was not advice that we applied to our life, right? Who remembers 9-11? Everyone? I hope so. You were dead if you don't remember 9-11, right? Because it was so impactful in our lives. But it wasn't things to apply to our life. There was nothing to apply to our life. It was news that was proclaimed to us that said, this will affect your life for the rest of time. That's what the gospel is like. The gospel is not advice that you decide whether it's, it's, you know, it's useful or not. It's just news. It's good news that's proclaimed. It's supposed to be proclaimed. So when someone comes up to you and says, I won't preach the gospel with my mouth. I'll just do it with my actions. You can't. You can't preach the gospel with your actions. Because you can't preach news with... You can't reenact news. I mean, if you turn on the TV set and they, they weren't talking... They were just miming that a house burned down in Tuscany. You'd be like, what kind of crap is this? Tell me the news. Don't mime it. Don't portray it. Don't live it out. You can't. It's news. And so the gospel is news, and this is the news. The news that God came to us through Jesus Christ, lived among us, perfectly fulfilled the moral standard that you and I should keep, the law, here and after referred to as the law, Then, instead of going back to heaven, perfectly fulfilling the law, he said, I will take anyone's sins upon my shoulders who believes that I am God and I have come to pay for sins. I will take their sins on my shoulders. I will pay their penalty. Who wants to believe in that? Then he hung on a Roman cross. He died a painful, embarrassing, humiliating death that He did not need to do, but out of love for us and out of compassion for us, and because He was God and He knew He needed to fully punish sin, He paid that price for me and you and said, Do you want to exchange what I have earned for your life? In exchange, here's what I will do. I will cleanse you of all your sin. I will put you in right standing with God forever. I will assure you of your faith. I will give you the Holy Spirit to... Help you to believe and to help you live in the image of me. And I will go down to hell for you in your place. And I will pay the price. And I will rise again and I'll conquer even death. Not even death's going to keep me away from accomplishing this. And then he says, So, what's it going to be? You believe in me? That's it. It's faith. That's it. That's the gospel. That's good news. Now this has enormous ramifications on our life. Because it no longer means that you're in charge of you anymore. You belong to Jesus. The word, one of the things we call Jesus is Savior. And Savior really comes from this idea of redeeming. He's our Savior, our Redeemer. Have you ever heard that phrase before? A Redeemer. Well, a Redeemer is someone who buys things back. So in the Old Testament, this comes from the Old Testament where uh, literally you could sell yourself into slavery and someone would come along and they would redeem you. They would buy you back out of slavery and set you free. And so Jesus buys us back, but now we're not our own again. Now we're just not free of guilt and sin. Now we're His. And now we're on His mission. And now we do what He asks us to do. And now we glorify Him and we worship Him. And we repent. That's what repent means, to turn 180 degrees, I think. I'm not a math guy, but 180 degrees is like from here to here, right? Is that right? So it means like, I was going this way, I repent, and I say, Jesus, I I live for you now. That's what believing in the gospel means. Repent and believe the gospel. You can read it anywhere in the New Testament. When Jesus began to preach, this is exactly what he said. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. He was proclaiming good news. And then Paul says, I, I, I proclaim that. And I actually, you know, as, as I read this, I was like, you know, in spite of the fact that I can be harsh on my own messages and I'm not sure I always communicate well, I would say the similar thing in our church. I mean, you can say what you want about me as a preacher. You can say I'm too long. You'll be right. You can say I'm boring at times. You'll be right. But I don't think you can say anymore that I don't clearly talk about Jesus each week. I would really have a hard time believing that. It's really important to me. I write it down. It's so important. I mean, I hardly pay attention to that. But I mean, I write this down. I want to tell you about Jesus and explain the gospel. And I, I felt like, hey, Paul, I, I get that. You proclaim it. But Paul says, here's the problem. You, 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 it couldn't get any clearer than the way i did but wait a second you're you're buying into this old way of life what is it peer pressure why and then he goes "I'll, i'll give you an example let me ask you only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith are you so foolish again foolish is like two times in that paragraph Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what Paul is trying to do is he's literally saying, you didn't begin by getting works, working your way into this. You didn't start the Christian life by earning your salvation. What makes you think now you can continue in your Christian life by trying to earn your salvation? And he uses the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't centerpiece, but honestly, I think one guy in our, our network, we're part of Acts 29 network, one guy in our network refers to the Holy Spirit as the bastard child of the Trinity because we don't kind of like to talk about him sometimes he's down here and you know and in conversations we always say this even when we baptize people we say the father son and the holy spirit right it's like get the father son's cool holy spirit's kind of for super christians and you feel like that and you feel like the holy spirit is still a little bit blurry okay no one that's good i'm i can throw out the last half of that message i'm kidding And it's not centerpiece. And and Paul is actually saying, did you receive the Spirit through believing in the good news or did you receive the Holy Spirit by following the law? I mean, it's kind of like asking the person, "Do do you want your team to win the Super Bowl? Of course, of course. Of course we receive the Spirit through believing. Of course we did. But my problem is, how many of us even understand what this would mean? receiving the Holy Spirit and so I thought I'd take a moment it's right there oh wow I guess I'm on point two already Um, we're we're back in point one I think I don't think I had it so anyways we receive the gospel through faith is point number one but it's not there anymore so I'll just talk about uh, five things that I think we need to know about the Holy Spirit first of all being blessed with the Spirit was a sign that you were one of God's people. This is where this comes from, from Joel uh, chapter 2 verse 28 and 29 and Ezekiel 36 and 27. So these are Old Testament prophecies. So if you're a Jew, uh, you know these, you know these texts, you know that the Holy Spirit is coming, you know that the blessing of the Holy Spirit is one of the ways in which you mark who God's people are. And this is what Joel says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All should be underlined in that because that means not just Jews anymore. That means also Gentiles like me and you. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. All Jews knew that one day was coming where the Holy Spirit was going to bless God's people, all kinds of people, not just special people. See, the Holy Spirit's always been part of God's story, uh, of helping God. God has always talked about His Spirit. But in the Old Testament, what we see is God chooses special people like kings and prophets and on occasion some craftsmen, some blue-collar guys who are building the temple, and he blesses his spirit. But the prophecy was that one day would come when everyone would have access. And I think it's important that we would highlight male and female servants. What we need to read here is like the lowest on the totem pole in the society. Not even just male servants, but female servants. A female servant in some people's minds would have been worthless. Like, why would you bless your spirit with someone who's a female servant? Like they just just in houses. But the prophecy was that the Holy Spirit's going to come on everyone. This is going to be one of the ways in God continues to mark His people. And then in Ezekiel, because people like you and me, it's not much different than you and I, right? Uh, they had trouble obeying. Anyone have trouble obeying the rules? Anyone ever? Okay. You just had problems obeying the do not lie rule. This is what... Ezekiel says that one day is coming where God's Holy Spirit is going to do something. Not, not just come in a special way to, to help people you know, make crafts or lead countries, but it's actually going to help them obey. It's going to change their hearts. And this is what it says. Ezekiel says that the Holy Spirit will spring clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. You see the the Old Testament Testament sacrificial system, the way that they tried to pay for sins, kind of paid for sins, but in in every way it couldn't erase that guilt. Have you ever said sorry for something, but you just can't seem to get rid of the guilt that goes along with it? Ever feel that? There's a difference, isn't it, between someone saying, it's okay, I forgive you, and how do I live with this guilt? And, and so the, the prophecy is, is one day I'm going to cleanse you from the inside. All of your idolatry. All the ways that you sin. I'm not just going to clean you up on the outside and say you're justified in the sight of God. I'm going to, I'm going to go inside of you and create newness in you and guilt-freeness in you. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Some of you, if you're a Christian, you've experienced this. You've experienced something's weird. I want to obey God now where I didn't used to. Anyone have that experience when they become a Christian? For those of you who can remember it. Right? Something happens. You're like, I hated reading my Bible and going to a church and listening to a guy rant for like 50 minutes about nothing. And and then all of a sudden I want to. I mean, some of you want to, but that was my experience uh, in a church that I was in Bowdoin. She she became a Christian uh, literally through my preaching. I know, surprise, miracles still happen. But she became a Christian somehow through my preaching. And she literally said, when I came to church, I was like, oh my gosh, 40 minutes, are you serious? She says, now I don't want you to stop. Something happened to me. I was like, praise the Lord, something happened to you. What happened? God put His Spirit in her and caused her to want to learn about Him and want to obey Him and want to know about Him and want to love Him. And that's what the Holy Spirit was there for. And all Jews knew this. When they began to see the Holy Spirit coming upon all people, God had arrived and started to do a new thing. Only they were really frustrated when it happened to Gentiles so quickly because they're like, hey, wait a second, we're the chosen ones. And now everyone gets access to the Holy Spirit? And so the second thing I want to point out is that Paul assumes that all believers receive the Holy Spirit at the point of conversion. Some of you don't know this. Some of you think that the Holy Spirit comes upon the super-Christians. That you believe in Jesus Christ You get saved. He saves you. You're assured of your faith. And then at some point later on when you pray like this, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Don't laugh. It's true, isn't it? You're like, I'd love the Holy Spirit, but I really don't have time to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. So until then, I'll wait, and maybe the Holy Spirit will come later. Oh, foolish urban gracers. The Holy Spirit comes upon you before you believe, helping you to believe. The Holy Spirit comes at the point of conversion. That's how you know you've moved from death to life. Okay, does the Holy Spirit come in the same kind of power that sometimes you see in the Bible? No, actually. He's a real person. He gets to choose, and sometimes He gives big doses, and sometimes He doesn't give big doses. But I think the reality is you have the Holy Spirit living in you if you believe. You just maybe don't know it. And you don't understand the kind of access you have in the power of the Spirit. Paul says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. One of the things that happens when someone becomes a Christian is they receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's accompanied by um, signs and wonders. I would say not every time. The Bible clearly lays out that there are some times that signs and wonders are a part of what God is doing amongst the people. Some denominations, some churches would say, unless you have certain signs, you can't prove that you've been gifted with the Holy Spirit yet. That's where we get all this craziness, I think. You know, I, I, I went to church service and as a kid, and I believed in Jesus But I was told I didn't have the Holy Spirit, so I better pray. And you know you had the Holy Spirit when you could start talking in tongues. Anyone have that kind of experience? And you're told, you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you start speaking in tongues. Well, I can't speak in tongues, so what does that mean? You don't have the Holy Spirit is what it means. Or enough faith. Or whatever. I just don't see that in the text. I just don't see that anywhere. Paul clearly says, you get Him when you believe. It's a gift. He's a gift. Because thirdly, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the gospel. That's what 1 Corinthians 2.12 says. So if you understand the gospel, and if you've ever tried to break down the gospel simply sometimes, sometimes it really does sound crazy to you, doesn't it? It doesn't quite make sense. You're like, this. it shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't receive this. I shouldn't be declared righteous before God. I shouldn't this it, it, this is almost too good to be true. And, and did Jesus really exist? Did he re, was he really God? Does your mind ever bend when you're trying to think about God as Father, Son and Holy Spirit? Anyone's mind just kind of start to collapse in on itself. And you're like, "Oh man, I need to I just need to get up and walk around so I can think through this." Cuz it's hard to believe and it's hard to understand. But you believe it anyways know what that is that's the power of god's holy spirit in your life making sense of it i this literally happened to me i was talking about this with another lady and she goes can you repeat that about that three thing three in one how does that work father son holy spirit but they're all the same she's like i don't get it (laughs) i'm like yeah i i get that you don't get it it's it's hard to comprehend and I, I didn't know what to say other than said, so tell you what, can you go home and you just pray that the Holy Spirit helps make sense of this? Because I don't think I can. You know what? I got a phone call at 8 o'clock that night. Hey, Trev, just wanted you to know. I got it. I don't know what happened, but I got it. That's how we talked on the phone, I guess. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was the Holy Spirit moving in her life. What? Not new information. Not more arguments. Not a textbook. She didn't even read her Bible. The Holy Spirit simply came upon her and she said, I think I get it. It's hard to comprehend, but I get it. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things given freely by God, this morning, if you don't get it, I'm going to recommend you do the same thing that I told this lady to do. You pray today. You say, Jesus, I don't get this. I cannot figure this out for the life of me. I don't even know how to start. Can you somehow make it clear to me so that sometime soon I can get that you are three and one? Even as I say that, I'm like, oh boy. boy. Only the Holy Spirit could do this because this is a big hang-up for people. Do you know still it's the biggest hang-up for the Jewish population to believe in Jesus? You just can't get past that three-in-one thing. That's the biggest barrier there. You need the Holy Spirit for that. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit brings assurance of our salvation. How many of you believe in your heart that you are saved? You don't have to raise your hands. Answer that question to me. or Sorry, not to me, to to Jesus. How many of you believe that you are saved? Do you know how you got that assurance? You got that assurance from the Holy Spirit who stamped your heart. When you believe this is what the Holy Spirit said, That dude, that gal is mine. Stamp. You're mine. If you know that you are Jesus Christ's servant, the Holy Spirit has come in a very powerful way, even if you don't recognize it. Because that is one of the primary activities of the Holy Spirit. And aren't you glad? Do you know how many other religions are out there where you just hope... That something happens as a result? We had this conversation around a birthday meal. Uh, fr- was it Friday night, hon? I think Friday night. We are talking about some of the people's different uh, reaction or different uh, conversations about different religions. And, and uh, Leslie's sister had said in a conversation with someone, she was, she was talking to them and, and she says, well, how do you know if you're forgiven or not? And that person says, I don't know. I have no clue if I'm really forgiven or not. I just hope so what i just immediately thought how is it that we have been gifted with the holy spirit who stamps our hearts and says you're mine and i know i don't even know how i know i guess i got a call on the phone like this but i don't know how i know i just know i just i am assured of my salvation That's because First Corinthians one twenty one and twenty two says, "And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and who has put His seal stamp on us, and given us His Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee." And literally, judgment day will come, and the Holy Spirit will say, "All right, judgment day. I'm going to gather all those who I stamped their hearts. It's going to be real crystal clear to Him. Guaranteed." Bound to be with Jesus for life. Guaranteed. Bound to be with Jesus for life. Forever. Guaranteed. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Fifthly, when the Spirit blessed the church in Acts, He did show up with signs and wonders. And He did it among people who, quite frankly, had not up until this point even looked for the Holy Spirit or even wanted the Holy Spirit. I think that's where all the controversy comes in. You ever have those people, and you have them at work, right? And you've been working there for two years, showed up every day, never stole anything, and then the person uh, shows up two weeks later, and they get the same benefit as you. You ever have that? And does it not ever make you mad? Like, what? I worked here for two years, and those people who worked here for two days get the same gifts and benefits that I do? This is, this, is, this is why Jews struggled so much with Gentiles, is because for thousands of years, Jews had been trying to obey the law, and then God shows up through Jesus in the book of Acts and blesses His people with the Spirit. All people, anyone who believes in His name, and they're like, wait a second, you don't have to do all those works of the law like we did? That doesn't seem fair. Yeah, I don't know why God did it that way, but He did. And that's why I think it's such good news. And when he shows up, he actually, he actually accompanied signs. So there were people who spoke in tongues, but those kind of tongues were like the gospel in their own language. So it would be like walking up to someone who has never spoken any other language other than English, and you're French, and they just fluently speak the gospel to you in French. That's how the Holy Spirit showed up and said, I have arrived. And people started coming back from the dead, and people started getting healed Snake bites went away. People who used to worship the devil started worshiping Jesus. It was a crazy turnaround. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders. And this is how they knew. That's how Peter, the first apostle or the leader of the apostles, that's how he knew that God had come to do a great work among Gentiles. He said, yep. Holy Spirit's really here. Because all they did was say, I believe. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. This is really, really cool stuff. And I, I wanted to take that chance to remind you that this passage was asking the Galatians, do you, do you think that, that having you just believing and being gifted with this Holy Spirit and all that goes along with this Holy Spirit, do you, do you think that's just the entry point into the Gospel? Oh, foolish Galatians, he says, it it is the way that you live. And this is a good time to say, don't for a second think that the way that you um, get into God's fold is by believing the gospel, but then once you're in, you, you maintain that you're part of God's people by keeping up your good works. That's not how Christianity works, just so you know. I know that sounds strange to you. But you don't continue on in God's people by doing good works. You continue on by doing the same thing as the way you got in, which is through faith. So you continue in the gospel by still continually believing in the gospel. As Tim Keller says, and I've quoted him many times on this, the gospel is not the A, B, C of the Christian life. It's the A through Z of the Christian life. It's everything. Faith is it. Faith is it. And so let's talk about this faith. And I want to explain that it's always been about faith. So even way back in the day, and that's Paul's argument as he goes on, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now imagine if you're a Jewish for a second, and you hear that. Your ancestor is Abraham, and through Abraham comes everything else. The blessing of God, the future blessing of God, the law of God, everything that you know about. The big fights that Jesus had in the New Testament with people, were with people who said, Abraham's Abraham's the head of our church. What Paul is saying is God preached the gospel through Abraham when He said to him, in you all the nations shall be blessed. That's a promise that's found in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. These are huge promises that are found in the book of Genesis. Very, very, very important. And those promises are not merely to Jews only. Those are eventually to Gentiles. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying that God, knowing that one day he would bring anyone who believed in his son Jesus Christ into the fold, preached the gospel to Abraham when he said, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Now what you have to realize about that is when God said that, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's why I have the point. It's always been about faith. You can go as far back as you want to go in the biblical story, but it's always been about faith. It's never been about works. It's never been you can earn your favor with God. It's always been you believe in God, and He counts that as your righteousness. You can go all the way back to Abraham. You can go right to the very beginning. You can start at the beginning of time. And it's always been about faith. Faith is crucial to the Christian life. And so let's talk about faith. Most times we talk about faith like it's this abstract thing. You need to have more faith. Right? Yesterday I watched a football game in the snowstorm. I had faith that the Stampeders were win. Okay? It's easy to kind of throw out this faith business. But I want to get real about faith because some of you are so discouraged because you don't think you have enough. Anyone ever felt discouraged? Like, ah, oh, man, I'm, I'm worthless. I don't have the kind of faith that's required for this. Okay, let's talk about faith. I think you firstly need to know that faith truly is a gift. Faith is not something that starts merely with you. Faith is a gift from God. If you believe in Jesus, the Bible says... You have been gifted with faith to believe that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. So important. And by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Do you hear that? For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's grace... It's not like you deserved it. But it's through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. You know what's so helpful about this is the fact that sometimes when people tell us something and and they say you've got to have more faith, what do we do? We look inward, don't we? We look only at ourselves and we say, I've got to have more faith. I've got to do this. I, 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 I. Now, is it Faith that you own. Yes, it is your faith. But this is the cool thing about God. He doesn't give you faith that's an arm-twisting kind of faith. He gives you faith where you feel like you're a full participant. He gives it to you. It, it's it's He loves to do it. What's so helpful about this is, is I can't tell you how many Christians that I've run into and talked about this or even heard... Seems like I find it a lot on late night television, but it's like you've got to have more faith. And when things don't happen, you ever prayed about something when it doesn't happen? Have someone say to you, "Well, I guess you just need more faith. Guess it's your fault after all. Guess you didn't pray hard enough. Guess you didn't fast long enough." Friends, faith is a gift. It doesn't allow us to be boastful. doesn't allow us to say, ha ha, I have more faith than you do. When you recognize that you don't own this ultimately, that it's a gift. Secondly, true faith does not mean a lot of faith. Some of us are worried about the volume of our faith. And anyone ever worry about your volume of faith? Like, I have this much faith, but they have this much faith, so I'll receive this much, and they'll receive this much. Ever have that? Jesus levels the playing field in in Matthew 17, where Jesus sends out his disciples, and they're casting out a demon. he says, you couldn't drive out this demon because of your faith. And they're like, well, what do you mean? (laughs) We said all the right words. And he says, no, you couldn't drive out this demon because of your faith. You didn't believe. And so they're like, okay, well, give us this faith. He says, I tell you, you don't need that much. With a little faith, as small as a mustard seed, the smallest possible seed you can find in the garden world. I don't know the garden world that well, so this is is also an awkward metaphor for me. But the smallest... Possible amount can move a mountain if it's real faith. And as I was preparing this, I was reminded that sometimes we read that, you know, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham who receive this blessing, and you think it's your volume of faith that will, will put you into the fold of God. And I want to remind you it's not your volume, it's the content of your faith. Do you believe? It's enough, friends. Do you believe? When Jesus doesn't answer your prayer, be careful that the first thing you point to being the volume of your faith. Think carefully then about the content of your faith and who and what you're believing in. Are you trusting in the amount of prayer you have? Are you trusting in who you talk to about it? Are you trusting in the words that you use to talk to Jesus about? It's a big struggle for me. Lots of times I think carefully through it and I go, Jesus, I know you can do this, but I'm, I'm not sure you will because I just don't, I don't, I don't pray as much as I should. And so until I do, I'm pretty sure you're going to withhold this blessing from me. And I think it's important to say it's not about the volume. It is about the content. Thirdly, faith is a struggle. I don't know if you know this. Faith isn't kind of easy. You don't. It's easy to put a verse about faith on a coffee cup, isn't it? But it's, it's a lot harder. A, a friend of mine, and I, I won't tell you who, he'll know who it is, but faith's a struggle, and doesn't, it's, it's, it's not always comfortable. It's not always comfortable, and he said, every time I've asked for faith, <laughs> I've regretted it, because it's difficult. And it's a struggle. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 talks about this big struggle that's waging war in his heart. And he says, I, strive, I believe this and then I do this. And I don't want to do this and I do want to do this. And I, I struggle between these two and I, I wrestle I wrestle with the, the flesh, the this, this sin that's still remnant in my life. Not, not, not sin in a justification sense, not sin in a whether Jesus views me as his own child sense, but, but flesh is and I'm still in this body, this sinful body. And I'm still wrestling through, I'm still wanting to obey. And you've struggled with that, I know you have, because you're a human being. And we need to hear that faith is a struggle and it's really uncomfortable at times. Back in the day when I was probably in way better shape than I am now, I used to go do a lot of outdoor stuff. And every summer we would go to a place called Frontier Lodge where I first learned to repel. I also first learned to pee my pants because that was, for me, the most terrifying moment of my life up until that point. I considered myself a farm boy who was pretty tough until I got out to the mountains and had to like very unnaturally back my way down a hill holding onto a rope that was like this big. If anyone ever repelled, I mean, I think there's a professional repeller here, so you don't count. But you know what repelling is? It's, it's like you get this weird, really uncomfortable harness, and you put it around your waist, and you put this tiny little rope through this tiny little carabiner that doesn't feel like it could hold... You know, a kid, and you, you literally back your way down a mountain. And, and at some point, you're kind of like vertical from the mountain, like straight out. And I remember, I remember it felt like half an hour I stood there, and his name was Eric, and he stood at the, stop, at the top, and he said, I got you, Trev, I got you. I was like, uh, you don't have a clue. And I back my weight, and I I'd lean back, and I'd be, this is so unnatural. This is so uncomfortable. And every time I I thought of that, I thought this is this is what faith feels like. A lot of the time, it feels so unnatural. It feels like you're backing down a mountain where you should normally fall. Like I should be falling right about now. And I want to encourage you that if you feel uncomfortable expressing faith, you are in the general population with the rest of us. People also have that struggle. They're probably just not telling you. Faith is a struggle. But faith, fourthly, is necessary. You say, well, it's it's uncomfortable, so I don't want to do it. No, the Bible actually says without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 says. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Probably the most clearest definition of faith in all of Scripture says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Friends, don't think that your knowledge of the gospel is what's going to save you. Don't think your knowledge, or or don't think that... The amount of times you hear the gospel is what's going to save you, friends. It's your belief in the gospel. It's your belief in who Jesus is and who He says He is that will save you. I know it's crazy, but it's true. That's the gospel. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And it's going to be uncomfortable. In fact, it's going to be regularly uncomfortable. That feeling of repelling backwards really hasn't gone away. Every time I lean over, I mean, some of you are like, When I preach sometimes, I put my foot over, I'm sure some of you are like, eventually he's going to topple over. Yeah, that feeling's really unnatural. I can feel it. I'm going to fall. It feels like that every time I'm on the edge. Every time. There's never a time where that doesn't feel like I'm going to fall. And faith is like that, but without that faith, it's impossible to please God. Some of you, though, would argue and say, well, but what do I do with that? Is there anything that I'm supposed to do? And that's where James comes in. Because James says, faith without works is dead. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and James say, both say the same thing. Ephesians says in that same sentence talking about, uh, for by grace we have been saved through faith. The next verse literally says this. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So literally, when God gives to you faith and knows beforehand that you are going to believe, He also plans for you things to do. Now, good works is a pretty general statement, but good works essentially means you worship Him with all that you do now. And your actions really matter. Because just like Abraham, he believed God and God credited to him as righteousness. But you know what that belief then meant? It meant he walked away from everything. See, his faith was not without works. His faith was not dependent on his works, but his faith was not without works. He was saved by faith alone, but not faith that was alone. Because when Abraham believed God, and and think about this for a second, so Abraham, nobody knows anything about circumcision or anything like that yet, okay? Nobody even knows really who God is yet. And God speaks to him somehow. We're not even sure how God speaks to him. Totally. Audibly, we're not totally sure. But God speaks to him, and he's supposed to turn around and tell his entire family, sorry guys, got to go. Why? God says so. Which God? I don't know yet. Where are you going? Have no clue. I just got to start walking. Literally, this is what happens to Abraham. He believed God. He he said, I'm going to bless you. So Abraham says, I believe you, God. I'm going. And that's how your faith will work. You will believe in the gospel, but then God will say, okay, because you believe that I am the center of your life, you've got to act like it. And He will draw you into that, and He will give you good works. He will give you things to do, He will give you a new mission. It's a big value here at Urban Grace. Faith without works is dead. And sixth, faith is a journey. I want to again encourage you this morning. Faith is a journey you don't get all the faith you need at the beginning of your Christian life. How many of you get paid for your job once a year? Anyone? Okay, this illustration should work then. Right? Most of us don't even get paid once a month for everything, right? Most of us get, what, every two weeks. Can you imagine if at the beginning of your life, you were given the entire monetary value that you needed to live your life in a big lump sum at the very beginning, do you have any idea what would happen? What would happen? I know what would happen to me. I'd way overspend and like by age one, I'd be out of money. That's what would happen to me. But some of us think like that God gives us faith at the beginning of our Christian life and then never continues to bless us with faith. And we say, well, I believed God, but now I still have to believe? Yeah, because He's continually giving you faith. Because it's a journey, friends. He doesn't give you all the faith that you need at the beginning, at the front end. He sees this as a journey. And sometimes He'll put you in dry spots to help you with your faith. Some of you have been through abnormally long dry spots. But if you believe, you know that these are actually spots where your faith is strengthened, isn't it? We have one of those, me and my family. we got a dark two-year period in my life. When my mother-in-law passed away, I didn't have a job. I broke my leg. was unemployed. Couldn't hardly do anything for my family. Had a small baby. Thankfully, I had a very kind and loving wife and a kind and loving father-in-law and mother-in-law for a season. I'm grateful. I did not like those years. They were still dark can hardly remember i clearly remember putting my fist through a wall in anger at god what are you doing and i look back on those days and i see that was that was a bedrock of faith in my life those experiences gave me an understanding of faith that really helped me and when you see it in the journey it's very very helpful friends because later on, when you don't have to express the same kind of faith as you feel it felt, you were so grateful for that faith. You were so grateful for those good times. When bad times, you, you come you're like, oh man, this, it's, not, it's pretty rough. But boy, that was rough time. And that hurt a lot. And that was painful. And that was hard. And I'm glad this is a journey and not just a once and for all. Because I would have lost my faith there if God had not given me clear sailing for a season. And we did. We had some clear sailing. We had some good seasons. And I want you to remember that. I want to encourage you with that, friends. If you're in one of those seasons where you're like, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, the gospel says there is light at the end of the tunnel, ask for faith to believe that there is. Ask for it. You might even need to beg for it because that's what God is doing in your life. I'll close by inviting you to simply partake of a meal. We try to partake every week. This is our meal. Our meal is the Lord's table. Our meal is literally, we celebrate together that Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. There's a loaf of bread and there's wine and there's juice because Jesus actually said, whenever you gather together and remember what I did for you on the cross and believe it, I want you to remember my great sacrifice, and the, and the future hope that you have. And so I want you to partake. If you're not a Christian this morning, we ask that you not partake, not because we don't think that you should ever take of this, but because it won't have any effect for you. If you're not a Christian, I would say this, actually. Become a Christian. Believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is enough for you. And then partake. Partake. I want you to partake in in celebration. I want you to partake uh, together saying, Jesus, give me faith. Some of you need that. And then we'll close.